so we have a project. We have a project. We call it OM Champion Project. Hello and welcome back to the Marseille View. I'm Stefan and tonight we've got a bit of a special episode so we're not just reviewing the recent fixture but we're also reviewing the summer Macato and also reviewing our Champions League prospects. So we're going to be discussing in detail the derby with Lyon uh, which was on Sunday night, it was a 1-1 draw. We're also going to be discussing the transfer deadline day which was yesterday so we'll be looking at our new signing or miss signings and also just kind of summarising the Mercato as a whole, you know, the whole summer period and, and, and the coming ins and goings out that we've seen at the club. And finally, we're also going to be speculating on our Champions League prospects now that we've had the Champions League draw and we know who our opponents are going to be. Um, so, it's not just me tonight, fortunately. I'm also joined by two others. So we've got our usual suspects. So Ben is with me. Are you all right, Ben? I'm good, thank you. Um, yeah, it's been a it's been a very eventful week with you know, a happy Champions League draw. It's very good to be back in in Champions League, and then um, at a quite a, a topsy turvy deadline day. So a lot to discuss. Of course, and um, I've also got Luca who's back with us. So how are you, Luca? Yeah, I'm very good. Very good. Um, I think the theme of the week for me has been the week of miracles. <laughs> with Miracle from the draw, miracle from the Leon game, and miracles at the deadline day as well. Okay, so we've got a bit of a sense of how you feel about everything. Um, we might not all agree tonight, I suspect. I've got a feeling we're going to have quite different views on some things, but good. Um, so I say we start off by going through the Leon game, but actually there's another game before that since we last covered. So we actually also faced Mets, which was... Um, another 1-1 one, one draw um, and so yeah I just wanted to ask you quickly about the Mets game but how you feel that we performed in that match so what kind of takeaways have you got from the 1-1 one, one draw with Mets um, I, I, you st- we started a bit more bright, well, a bit brighter than we have been playing I think there was a bit more movement in the first few minutes um, we were trying to run at them with the ball and we were playing quite high up. And then, again, as usual, we seemed to revert to tie past the 15 minutes. And um, I think we created a couple of chances or we got the, got the ball in the box a few times early on. I think Benedetto had a, a decent shot that went just over the bar. And then after that, just fucking fell asleep and um, went, went back to the, the usual running around the midfield with no real objective. Um, Payet completely drifted out the game. And I think I, I was... Not happy, but relieved in the sense that Benedetto got to see a lot more of the ball and he did have a few chances. I think he tried an Campos um, bicycle kick, didn't he, at some point that he, he missed. But um, yeah, there were a few positives from the first half. And then the second half, usual crap again. No creativity, no movement, 
huge gap between midfield and and, and defence, gave space to Mets, and we conceded from a, from a counter attack, and then we, we we're left chasing the game. AVB throws all all the substitutes on, and then Cowie and Radonic combine miraculously for a cutback to Sanson, who who puts it in the top corner in the last fucking minute. That that's all there was to take away from that game, is we we again clutched a draw from the hands of defeat. Well, to be fair, you said quite a lot of stuff there, Ben, so it does sound like quite an action-packed game, um, but I don't think that's maybe really yeah, how it was, was misleading. it? Yeah. Very what, misleading. <laughs> what about you, Luca? Did you anything to add to that? Well, I, I think the Met game for me is probably the most concerning game out of all the fixtures that we've had so far. It's because we all know we've had big, big match days against PSG, Leo, Lyon and Saint-Étienne. But for me, the Mets game was like, you know, the first, for example, for me, quote unquote, like the easy game and like home game against Mets, who was at that time just shocking, just couldn't couldn't buy a clean sheet. And you go into it and you're thinking, you know, well, once we get after Lyon, you know, we're going to play just this kind of team over and over and over again until December. And for me, it was like, well, you have to make a statement. And for most of the game, until the 95th minute, we looked just, you know, we, it was just a lazy position. It was just completely harmless shots from Benedetto and Payet. And, you know, it, it took a miracle in line with the miracle that happened the week before against Lille with Jama for us to not come away with a loss at home. Um, so for me, that was probably a big, big indictment on on AVB's management. I mean, his substitution came on the 70th, 76th minute um, and it's just very, very poor from our, our, our key players. So for me, uh, my takeaway from that game is just very worrying for the, for, I mean, going forward. Okay. Um, I think I'll just add quickly what my thoughts were. Um, I found that the first half was just incredibly boring, actually. And I watched the game, well, my partner, my missus tried to watch the game with me in an attempt to show more interest. Um, and what I like, and yeah, she gave up at half time, and I don't blame her. It was a really terrible game, I thought. Um, yeah, in the second half, we really, really struggled, didn't we? And Mets sort of kind of took over. You know, they st- became more comfortable and more in control of the game, and we were lucky, really, that they didn't score more goals. And yeah, you're as you said, Ben, we were kind of saved by this goal at the end that I don't think anyone was expecting. But yeah, it was a really disappointing game, and I would probably agree with you, Luca, that it's the probably the worst of all our performances. Um, so it wasn't really um, great to go into the derby with Leon with that kind of game behind us, and and knowing the games before that, you know, that we talked about in the last pod, were also disappointing. But yeah, I was pretty worried actually, and it seems like it's not just a kind of how you say a come down after the Paris Saint Germain game. It's quite a few games now that we've. You know, we've been looking very, um, very poor, very sort of lacking in imagination. Yeah. Um, yeah, very flat. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, it was a shit game. And one, you know, that's better forgotten. Now, I already can't really remember much of it. So, it says it all. <laughs> but I think anyway. the, yeah, the takeaway, I think, Luca, Luca, you summed up. The main takeaway from that game was after the result. And AVB's comments were that, you know, the tactics are not the issue, players are out of form, all of that. 
it was it was basically him already giving you the starting eleven going into the game against Lyon, which you knew would be exactly the same, bar Amavi coming back from suspension, and you just knew we knew what to expect going into 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 Sunday's game. Yeah, That's, and that was so infuriating for me as. as... It's just so far from reality, you know, the, the whole three weeks before that and leading up to Leon game, like it's AVB's attitude has just been compl- so detached from what reality is, you know, like just saying, just keep, you know, continuing to put the same team on, no substitution, putting no faith into our substitutes and coming out with that kind of sentences in, in a press conference, like we're not watching the games. It's like, if, for me, it's, it's like awful management from AVB. Yeah, can, can we can we say it was can we say it was almost Gasha esque? Oh, it was. It was. <laughs> Who esque? Gasha. Oh right. Okay. Sorry. Something else. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It was actually. I completely agree. I was thinking that at the time as well. This looks. It feels like watching Garcia's Marseille again, doesn't it? Um, we feel very um, predictable at times. I think just not really able to like, you know, animate the well. There's not much animation in the play that we're not able to kind of sort of create things to to push the ball forward. We seem to be pinned back and under pressure. And then when we do have the ball, we don't know what to do with it. Anyway, I don't want to talk about that game because there's a big game that we want to cover, um, which is the, the game against Lyon on Sunday night. Um, so it was the sort of Olympic derby, the Choc de des Olympiques. Um, it wasn't the best game though either. I I, I wouldn't say, um, and we will go into it in a bit more detail. But I'll just sort of um, describe firstly what happened. So it was a one-one draw. Um, we took the lead rather against the run of play, um, courtesy of a really nice finish from Dimitri Payet. And up until that moment, I don't think we'd had any attempts on goal. I don't think we'd strung more than a few passes together. Um, we started very very um, very quietly. But not long after that, we saw Payet get sent off and the game kind of really changed completely into a bit of a kind of survival mission, didn't it? And we found ourselves just trying to hang on for the rest of the game and it seemed like it was going to be a sort of damage limitation affair, but didn't quite turn out with that. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. How do you think the performance went? Do you think it was a more positive performance from Marseille? compared to the the other results or much of a continuation well you, you have to be happy with with getting a point you know when you come out of, of a derby and you spend seven like what 72 minutes with 10 men and you know like one of our best players off it's not like we've got like Germain off of the pitch we've got you know the goal scorer and, and and our leading playmaker out of the field so you have to be happy coming out with a point but I feel like that's just kind of you know, like hiding the flaws that have been happening for the past four four weeks. You know, uh, before his his sending off, yeah, we had 18 minutes to show anything, and I don't see anything from you know that how the team looked that leads me to believe that if we had stayed 11 against 11, that we would have looked any better. You know, I understand that after 18 minutes, you know, you go into full like full lockdown and you just say you know what we're just gonna defend and salvage the three points at that point because you are ahead but what tells me that Payet stood on the pitch that we would defend any better and then we would create more chances for me there's none you know the game until the 18th minute 
was in line with the the Lille game, the Mess game, and the Zetachen game, which was we're just going to sit deep and we're not even going to play the counter-attacking football. We're just going to sit deep and try to build up and see what happens. And if we get the ball kind of in their own half, then we're going to do something. And then, brilliant, we scored. But for me, that game, even though I'm happy that we took the one point, is going to allow AVB another week or another game to to you know be stubborn and put the same team in the starting eleven and you know just say it's worked before so why not again so I think it's good but long term it could be bad for us. Yeah, it's, it's a good analysis. Um, and I, again, you're not you're not really surprised are you by the by the um, the lack of action because again the same starting eleven. So why? You know, it's the def- definition of, of of being insane is is trying the same thing again and expecting different results. And he he ABB is going to have to start questioning himself. Um, I don't think he will. But and I think Touchwood. We'll, we'll discuss the, the 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 transfer window. But Touchwood, hopefully, with the same tactic, we now have different profiles of player that we've brought in that, that can maybe spark up something different in the same tactic just by just by their their, their individual skills but yeah we, we, again we start very dull um we're under pressure i think we'll, we'll cover i'll cover the, the the my main takeaway from the game later but we again the cards are flying everywhere we're taking very early bookings Leon are not getting booked for the same fouls as us and then suddenly you, you score out of fucking nowhere on on i couldn't believe it when i saw Tauvin, come inside on his left foot, have room for the shot and actually square it. I mean, you know, you, that, that is such a, a perfect position and scenario where you would expect him to try and curl it into the top corner. But no, he passes it to Payet. Payet buries a low shot. It goes in, then gets sent off. You can't really say it's harsh. It can seem harsh, but earlier that day, I think a Nantes player got sent off for dragging his studs on a player, but after he'd kicked the ball away and the other player just happened to put his leg in the way, but... Yeah, I think I it's think, harsh anyway. I think it's it harsh. is a bit harsh, but... It's a red card. I, I don't... I mean... It's, yeah, there is consistency in the decision and, and yeah, there was... Whilst there wasn't intent, there was always a risk that that could happen and he, he should have known better. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to... I'm not going to... I'm going to, you know, like, choose my fights and pick my fights, but... <laughs> so I'm going to obviously accept that. I don't think it's the most ridiculous record we've had. But yes, when you have the you know the fixed image and the you know the the, the frame freeze and you like yeah that his foot is on is on um, Dubois' tibia, but like like you know uh, he, was, he wasn't speed. leaning in, he didn't put yeah, any speed. weight it on it. Didn't look as bad as it did in slow motion, did it? It's partly down to him being overweight. I think being unfit that he's slow going in with that kind of tackle. <laughs> no, he got I, I think... the ball. He got the ball. He just put his foot in opposition and then Dubois just kicked it. So yes. It, when you when you fr- freeze the frame, then yeah, sure, you've got that image. But like when you actually look at and in the spirit of the game, he didn't put any weight in it. He didn't lean into the tackle to you know to to snap the the tibia. Like for me, it, 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 it looks yeah, scary. Yeah. But I, I think mean, you can you can moan, you can moan. <clears throat> one one thing again that I will say, and, and this is neither misogynistic or neither you know anything against if any papa, but it's the league yet again in the big game picks. A, an inexperienced referee that you know is going to be under pressure, you know he's going to is going to feel compelled to try and take control of the game and, and 
diffuse any tension or stuff like that by getting the cards out early. I don't think it would have changed anything because, let's face it, we were playing Lyon and we, I think the last four years when we've played there, we've always had the red, yeah, red cards almost every time. And you won't play against them. So, but I will, again, I just, you, just, you just have to look at the league and, and go, what the fuck is going through your mind to put these poor referees who are already under pressure? Yes, some of them are clearly incompetent, but, you know, I think she's, she's been okay since she started in Ligue 1. But you can't, you can't throw them in the deep end like that in a game that you know is going to be full of tension and uh, didn't help her. But again, you know, her performance was pretty average, but it didn't help her that she, she's an experience. I'm going to come back to her after, actually, because there's a couple other incidents that um, I w- yeah. wanted to cover. Um, but yeah, so just thinking about what you were saying about the game, you know, for me personally, I think that Leon started pretty brightly, actually, and I was quite like worried at the start. Before the goal, about the way that Leon were playing, they were moving the ball about really quickly. You know, they were showing a lot of energy. I mean, they're very predictable. They just pass the ball down at the wings and cross, it and it's it's embarrassing. Um, after a while, once you've seen them play a couple of times, you know you can really suss them out. But but yeah, we were we were really poor at the start, and we were no match for them. And you know, as you said, Ben, we scored it enough, and I also thought Tovan was going to 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 shoot. You normally would have with more confidence, but it was such a nice finish. Actually, it was really, really nice goal, but it really masks of you know what was a very poor performance until that point. And I think that after that, you know, after the red card, I actually don't think our performance was bad. I actually think after the red card, playing with ten men, I think we did a really good job of shutting the game down. I think the defensive display was excellent. I think that there were some individuals like Jordan Amavi, I thought was brilliant. You know, and going forward, he actually looked like he was causing them problems when he, with a few occasions when he and other players did um, um, bomb forward. You know, there was feeling, especially in the second half, like we might actually catch them out with another goal at one point. But I feel that we were lucky, although that defensively I thought we were excellent. And, you know, as um, I think Fiorenzo said in the group chat, it was almost a bit like, it feels a bit like the AVB is trying to emulate that kind of Atletico Madrid style, you know, where we just shut out games and we go for the 1-0 victories where we can and we bully teams and so on. And I can see that as well, to be honest. And it feels like that's a, a direction for us that's, would suit as well going into games where we're underdogs, particularly in the Champions League. But I think the game on Sunday night, we were lucky in that Garcia and Leon were poor, especially in the second half. They went, they they kind of sort of lost their heads a bit. They lost their focus, and they kind of seemed like they didn't really know what to do by a certain point, especially in the last fifteen twenty minutes when you know the crucial time. Is coming where they know they have to score the run at a time, and our players should be getting tired by that point, and it should, you know, you should start to see more openings. And actually, they kind of just sort of lost their cool and stopped creating and started getting caught out and looked like they were bickering over. I remember one occasion they were bickering when there was a throw in, and it was like, well, we just why are you just hurrying? Kind of, you know, they weren't. They I just, mean, they yeah, weren't you look, moving. You look at the yeah. No, you look at the stats. It was it was it's typical. We've seen it so many times. Yeah. Fucking managing us. 
lots they, of chances, the but none of them, half, not not many clear shots and goals and things like well, that. Just, yeah, but by, by half time, I can't believe it. The stats were 13 shots to Lyon, and they must have had one on target, which was the penalty. And it's the same when he managed us. We were either shooting ridiculously, you know, from, from non-threatening positions, or it was try and get the ball out to the winger and get across it and hope for the best. And that was the second half was the, the crossing. There was the, I can't remember how many crosses there were in to our area. Um, I think the, at the end of the first half, they scored the second goal, didn't they? That was, that was disallowed. And that came from us. That was the only... The only Which goal is that? Is that the Awa goal or the... No, the, the yeah. Kelly one. No, no, the Kelly oh, yeah. one in the, at the end of the first half. Um, where we, we fluffed our clearance, but that was the only chance, the only occasion, sorry, in the game that the, the defence fluffed their lines and didn't clear the ball properly on the first attempt. And it led to a goal that was rightly so disallowed for offside. Um, it, it's, you know, that's, that's credit to the team for, for sticking together and defending in, in the block. Um, Amadi, I agree with you. He was the man of the match for us. He was brilliant. And, and you can tell the difference when he's on the left. You know, compared to Nagatomo, because he actually drives forward as well. Um, Luca, I'll, I'll, you know, you'll, you'll probably analyse the game a bit more. My my biggest worry of the last last few weeks was, and it was confirmed on on Sunday, is Rongier seems to be fucking lost. He he gave the ball away so many times when we when we cleared on, you know, we weren't often able to clear our lines effectively without hoofing it downfield. The rare occasions where we were and the ball came to him in possession in front of the back four, where he had a little bit of time and space to pick someone on, on the wing or try and, you know, try and hold on to possession, he just lost it every time and he looks like a deer in the headlights. It's, it's a good yeah. point, actually. So I will come to you and look, look in a sec, but it's a good point about Rangier because if you think... I, I can remember when we were with Garcia, right, and how flat our midfield was and... Suddenly, Rangier came in last year, and I, me personally, I thought he was the difference in our and how um, our fortunes changed, especially in the first half of last season, and that our midfield suddenly suddenly seemed to be able to move the ball about much more freely, and I really put it down to him. But this season, he all he does, he's, he's like he's gone in full Atletico Madrid mode because all he does is just go in, tackle, kick, and just hit the ball away or put it out to shy or something he doesn't seem to be the player that we saw before which will look at picking out passes and just kind of keeping the play moving he doesn't seem that that kind of player at all at the moment which is really strange um but yeah um look if you've got any thoughts on that before i wanted to start picking out some some of the key incidents but if you've got anything to add sorry before we do yeah, yeah well i mean before before like just to bounce off of your guys point i think to and it's, it's going to become a very hot topic in a few in a few weeks by midfield. But Rangier and Sanson, uh, honestly, I'm I'm a loss for words because Sanson came to us and he was the leading you know assist player in in, in Ligue 1. When Rangier came, you know he came as the playmaker of Nantes and he was playing so far forward. Essentially, was he was the number ten for Nantes. And now a year and for Sanson, it's more than a year. It's nearly three years now. They've just become like caricatures of the physical physical Ligue 1 midfielders, but not quite box-to-box. Box. You know, the ones, like you said, you just tackle and pass it straight away. But in this system with 4-3-3, where you would think they would have a lot more responsibilities to take charge of the game and actually carry the ball forward, it's, they're becoming a nuisance because we need them to go forward and to pass the ball to Benedetto and to do one-twos with the wingers. 
but they're, they're just basically reduce themselves and relegate them themselves to just the very physical midfielders that can tackle the ball and get the ball back. But the problem is because we're playing so so far down down the pitch at the moment, they get the ball back on a 20-yard line, but they don't have that initiative to carry the ball forward. And it's hurting us so much when we get the ball back. So, yeah. They look identical, don't they? They look like they've morphed into the same profile of player. I know. Sanson maybe I will put down to Gatia because um, Gustavo was the playmaker in that midfield under Gatia because he he could carry the ball and pick a pass, and Sanson had to had to cover the defensive duties a bit more. So I do think Sanson Sanson's change in profile is down to Gatia assigning that role to him. But Rongier, I'm really starting to look at him now and people people are moaning about Sanson for weeks and I'll go criticise as well but statistically in the last 10 games for us he's got four assists and three goals okay. which is quite it's quite shocking I actually think it might be down to the players in front of them like players like Dimitri Payet and stuff who just don't make the runs for them to give the ball to I think there's a lack of movement in some of the other players um, the players need to create space you know, and, and get into positions for for the for the play to flow. So it, I, I think it may be down to that partly, and that was a problem under Garcia as well. Um, but yeah, I wanted to um, talk isn't about Payette sort of. Sorry, isn't Payet morphing into like Wayne Rooney when he was on? You know, when he was on the decline at United, and he's lost his legs. When the last time you, you saw Payet run past the player? This is true. Um, yeah. I wanted to talk about some of the incidents, actually. So just firstly, thinking about the penalty that we lost. So the Alvaro foul. Do you think it was a penalty? Any issues with that one? Or do you think it was kind of straightforward? I think, again, for me, if again, if you take the like take it to the letter of the law and then you take a, free, a frame freeze, yes, you see Alvaro stepping on, on Bard's foot quite, you know, quite significantly. But if you actually you know, are in a spirit of football, you see the ball has lost control of the ball. The ball is basically into the six-yard box. Alvaro Gonzalez, Alvaro is, like, not even looking at the guy's foot. He's not even trying to make a foul. So it's like you've got a player who doesn't have the ball anymore because the ball's going dribbling into, in, into the, as a goal kick. And then Alvaro, who, without even looking... He's stepping on the guy's foot, who isn't even like the foot that's engaged in the like that would have made the pass or anything. It's just for me, it's just an incidental contact. And yes, if you it, as soon as she's asked and she's asking the VAR, is is there is there is there a foul or not? Is there a reason why I should cancel this penalty? No, they're not going to give it because there is contact. But it, it's not for me. It's not a penalty. You know, it, it's not a chance like chance removing action that Alvaro is doing. The ball's already out of the field of play and he's not even making contact with any of the body parts that would have an impact on the play. So like yes, I'm not gonna again I'm not gonna scream about it, but it's it's <laughs> it's such it's such a bullshit decision. Like that yes, if you say it's a rule the law then it's a law, but like these fifty fifty decisions like they always go in the favour of Leon. Yeah, Lyon, Lyon, fall in, Lyon player falls in the box. It's, it's a penalty 99% of the time. Um, I, did, I, I mean, look, we're, we're all watching TV, football on TV for years and we've got replays that the refs have only had access to recently with VAR. I, I had high hopes that one of my pet hates is when you see a penalty given and like a player jumps over a tackle. Suarez is very good at this. 
and leaves their foot dragging on the other player so that there is contact and then they happen to dive, semi-dive, semi-fall because of the contact. And, and I, I had hopes that with, with reviews and referees being wise to that, they'd look at it and go, no, he's, he's looking for the penalty. There is contact, but there's not enough to justify. As you say, Luca, it wasn't a goal, you know, goal-denying opportunity or goal-scoring chance-denying opportunity. So it is frustrating, but at the same time, we know we are systematically going to get fucked by the refs, even more so against Lyon. And, and it, it is what it is, unfortunately. Okay, so while we're on the subject then, so what about the incident in the other half where Alvaro was, um, where he clashes with Lopez and it looks like Lopez may have kicked him. Um, but what, what would be quite a acrobatic flying kick if it was on purpose. Um, what do you think? Do you think that was deliberate? Do you think it was a penalty or do you think that's just silly that people are kind of clutching at straws? that one well I, I think first when I saw it I thought there's nothing in it it's just, it's just contact between the two players and when you see the replay you see that like Alvaro does slow his his run down and starts bracing himself for a potential contact and that even though Lopez is like gets the ball away from Alvaro you can see him not only leave his feet but he's also kicking up with his right foot onto Alvaro's ribs and as he's falling, you can see his left foot of Lopez kicks up again, just in case Alvaro is still there. And obviously he doesn't make contact because he's on the floor at that point. But you can see from his left leg kicking up, even though he's on the floor, just to try to catch Alvaro a second time. You can see that it's intentional. And even if it's, even if it's a 50-50 again, how does Lopez still have the, uh, the benefit of the doubt? Every week, he jumps and gets the ball with his both feet lifted in the air. So if the striker goes gets into it, it's not his fault. He literally put Mbappe on a stretcher last year. How many times is he going to get the benefit of the doubt? The, the referees see it. The referees watch football games, don't they? They know that he's a dirty player. How is he getting the benefit of the doubt? What about you, Ben? Do you think it was a penalty or do you think... No, not. I, again, I mean, uh, look, I... I... <laughs> It's interesting because we do gather to watch games and there's loads, everybody's a pundit and everybody has an opinion. Everybody in the bar where we watch games shouted penalty and I was like, guys, it's never going to get given. Um, I think the worrying thing, though, is that, as Luca said, Lopez has done this before and it's had very bad consequences on Mbappe. Was it last season or the season before? Last I can't season. Remember. But he, he I, I dislike Lopez anyway. I just think he's, he's an absolute... Dirty player. His attitude is bad. We've got numerous examples of him riling up and being overly aggressive for no reason. And and this seems to be, you know, it seems to be his cheeky little get away with this and hurt hurt the opposition at the same time. And I just think it's vicious. There's no need for it. But until a referee has the balls to take action for it. You can't really give a penalty, can you? Because it's not a foul because the ball's away from the player. He's not, again, he's, under, he's got the ball under control. But you can, you know, look at it and, and give him a, a bucking at the very least and say you were, you were overly aggressive there. Tune it, you know, tone it down a bit. There's no need for, for your reaction and, and the way you, you came to the player. So 
it's frustrating again, but it's you know you don't expect anything different against Lyon. Okay, um, I think because we're kind of getting on a bit and there's quite a bit to cover, I just want to sort of move on to the takeaways and just wrap it up with this game and talk about some of the other stuff. Um, what are your takeaways from this match? Um, I, I think positive takeaway is I'll, after the penalty and the red card for me, it was good night and we were going to lose the game and somehow we salvaged a point. And after a fairly shocking start of the season, you know, we only, we've only lost one game and, you know, we've basically gone through some of the biggest teams of the, of the league. So now we have an easier run of games and, with that mentality of never giving up, even when you're 10 men down, and even when you can see the penalty, even against referees, you know, th- that's momentum that pushes you forward, and hopefully we can start making a run because it, we don't have the hardest games to play. Um, negative, however, is uh, I am struggling to see what AVB sees when he watches our games. Um, and, and, and that, that reflects in the Mets game because, of course, we're going to play easier teams, but Mets was an easier team. And he's completely hit, hit his head against the wall with his tactics, with his substitutions, with his choice of players and tactics overall. And what tells the negative point for me is that I, I don't see what suggests that he's going to change anything. Okay. What about you, Ben? Uh, I don't really have anything to add. <laughs> Luca, you've you hit it on the head. Yo, I'm on point today. What's going on? <laughs> no, but look, you're often on point. We just diverge on, on individual opinions about certain individuals sometimes. But no, you're, you're right. And yeah, I think the only, again, just echo the positive. Yes, it looks dire at the minute, but we have played our most difficult games. And everybody's, you know, sort of raving about, well, even Tata 10 up to a few, few games ago, but after they beat us. And Rennes and Lille, you know, they're doing well. But they're going to all going to be playing each other and PSG and Lyon and Monaco during the, you know, in between their Champions League games, and we're not. So that is, yeah, yeah. We, we've got nine points from eighteen. We've played some of our most difficult games. There's no cause for optimism, but there's there's also been some positive despite the shit performances. Okay, um, I think I'm just going to say. Mine is that we are showing character and that we are difficult to beat even when we're not playing well. We're pretty well organised defensively when we need to be. And I think this kind of goes, I'm maybe touching upon the Mets game a bit with this view, but I feel like we are similar. I kind of realised this at a similar point last season, um, although maybe we were, things were a bit more positive going forward. But we are, we've got a lot of character and we grind out results even when we're not playing well. And I think that that's, a, even though it looks shit at the moment, there's something good there that we might, you know, a foundation that we might be able to build upon. So maybe we are just solidifying our kind of defensive unit and, and tactical kind of news. Um, and then maybe we will start to develop a play. So you build from the back, essentially, you know, and the players are all on song, then you know, maybe maybe it will start kind of sort of unfolding, but I'm, I'm trying to be positive. I think, yeah, I, yeah, Alvaro, I mean, uh, look, the, the the whole Neymar affair has been put to bed. He, he, I think he was affected by that in the games when we when we debriefed the last few games where Lille 
um, Tatu Ten, he you could see he clearly looked like he was, uh, you know, was a bit nervous and a bit edgy. Um, Sunday's game he, was his best performance, so hopefully he now just gets his head down and, and leads the defence. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I didn't mention that, actually, and that's um, news since we last podcasted that the the league decided not to sanction Alvaro nor Neymar regarding the accusations that we discussed in the previous two podcasts. Um, I don't want to get into that because, not because we don't think it's an important issue, but just more about time tonight, and we've talked about it the last two two episodes. It's because I was right. I predicted this outcome. Yeah, you, I was right, and you, you don't want to admit it, and that's you, fine. That's fine. You did. <laughs> so, I mean, I think we we'll all agree that none of us are impressed with the outcome or the way that the the league ha- or the lack of action that the league have taken. Um, so, yeah, it's all a bit of a mess. But um, I'm not. I, I don't think any of us are happy that even Alvaro's come out of it unsanctioned because it's just not been dealt with properly, you know, um whether he was whether even if he was guilty, it's not they've not properly addressed it. So um anyway, but we'll move on and I kinda wanted to sort of I think we'll start with the Champions League before we do the the Mercato. Um so we got a draw last Friday. It was probably one of the most boring TV shows I can remember watching in a very, very long time. It was like watching Crufts or something. It was just really long-winded and dull. Um, yeah, um, really not worth it at all. I used to, normally I just like log on to the computer and find out the draw after. I never watched them live, but obviously had a bit of an interest this time and we've not been in the Champions League for six years. Seemed like it might be quite exciting. But it really wasn't. Um, but we got a pretty good draw, didn't we? We came out in Group C. So we were in Pot 4 and we came out in Group C and we've been drawn against Man City, Porto and Olympiacos. Do you think that... Well, what are, what are prospects for this group? Do you think that we can qualify? Well, I, I think before we start talking about whether we can qualify or not... Um, I'm, I'm, I think I'm probably speaking for most of the like the Marseille people. That is probably one of the easiest draws that we could have hoped for coming out from the bottom pot. You know, like Porto was in most people's you know team to have in your in the first pot with alongside Zenit. In the second pot, you're getting Man City, who is a big team, but you know they're not exactly amazing in the Champions League, and it's not even one of the three biggest teams in that pot. You know, you've got Barcelona, Atletico Madrid. You still have the likes of Chelsea and Dortmund and United. So City's a fair draw, and Olympiacos, like again, probably, probably the easiest draw of the pot three. You know, Dinamo Kiev maybe Krasnodar, but you know right on the same level as Olympiacos, when you could have drawn, you know, Atalanta, Lazio, Milan. So, for me, it's it's an incredible group to be in. And it gives us at least, at the very least, we should be aiming for Europa League um, kind of funneling, um, which is kind of, I was hoping for, for, for or I was hoping for at least, or expecting at least a much harder harder group to play in. Yeah, they've also got Matthew Valbuena playing for them, don't they? Who must be what thirty five, thirty six now or something. So yeah, and he's their he's their highlight player as well. <laughs> like, but I would, I'm, I'm, one, uh... one thing I would say about Olympiacos is that these teams like Olympiacos are usually pretty tough to go to Greece and win. 
but do they have? I don't know if they're going to have any fans in the stadium, which might work in a favour because normally I think it can be quite a hostile place to play. Um, so this is probably a good year to get them. I would I would imagine. A hundred percent. They're gonna they're gonna have the same handicap we're gonna have, which is the lack of home support. Um, so whilst you know in in normal time, as you say, you could expect a team like City to go there and draw, for example, under the hostile atmosphere, but. Well, you know, it's, it's, you can't can't really speculate because we're in the same predicament. We don't have the the, the twelfth man, and it is going to hurt us. Um, as I said, yes, I think when we all did simulated draws, that you know we got two out of the the three teams we would have hoped for. Um, I disagree with you when you say that Olympiakos is is a bit harder than Dynamo Kiev, and no, oh, sorry, isn't as hard as. Um, Dynamo Kiev and all those places. I think that the main thing is that we're not going to be travelling to Eastern Europe or Russia or Ukraine or anything during the, the, the winter period. And that is that is the saving grace here is that in terms of recovery, we don't have many big, well, we don't have any big trip apart from Athens. Um, I would hope that AVB knows enough about Porto to know how to at least cause them problems, let alone beat them. But yeah, cause them problems. City, um, you know, I don't want to give credit to Lyon, but they've struggled against French opposition in recent years. And they've, Apart they've from had the they... You know you've just jinxed it by saying that. They're probably going to beat us at 5 nothing. <laughs> well, if they do, they do, but that's expected. Um, you know, and, and, and the lack of home support won't make a difference for them because the fucking stadium's empty all the time anyway. But yes, it's a good draw. But let's not get carried away because you've still got to play the games. Um, I think the main the main worry is going to be how we juggle. In a way, it's good that we have faced tough opposition in the league already and we do have an easier run of games on paper. But how we juggle the squads and how we swap players in and out for, between Champions League games and, and league games, that, that is going to be the real test for ADB and his tactics and his man management. But it's just good to be back in the Champions League, let's be honest. If if we somehow manage to finish second, or who knows, a fluke, fluke winning the group with ABB's tactics where we go and snatch away wins and you know don't do too badly at home, I'm more worried about our home games than I am about our away games because I think the stat came out yesterday that under ABB we're unbeaten in a year away almost. So that's that's the analysis. I think for me, I think for me, what the the way to get out of the group stages, uh, it's still it's not likely, but I mean it was never going to be likely. But it's possible, you know, to to get into the round of sixteen, because I mean Porto is a difficult position, but you know it's a top seeded team. Um, the the two keys is going to be one is obviously momentum, um, like how do we get started because we're playing Olympiacos straight away, so that's going to be a big test because if we can't you know beat them. You know, already looking, you know, down the barrel with Man City and a double position against Porto, you're probably going to, if you don't beat Olympiacos, you know, you're probably not looking at a win. But if you do beat them, you get momentum and you play Man City at home. Like, if those two first games start well, you know, you, you can start having hope. And the second thing for me is is that Vilas Boas is going to have to sort out his man management and his quad rotation. Um, having, blaming the physical fitness five games into the season, when you've got this squad, where you have seven midfielders, you've got, apart from 
I'm gonna I'm gonna give him that. Apart from the right back, left back, and a striker, you, where you don't have a, a lot of quality substitutions, you've got a big squad. You've got no excuse for playing Olympiacos and then playing Lorient. You have no excuse to put the same team, Olympiacos, Lorient, and Man City. You have to learn to to put a faith in your substitutes. Otherwise, we're just gonna get burnt out in the tenth game. Okay, um, I think. Ben, you made a good point, actually, which I totally agree with, is that we're lucky that we avoided those uh, teams, um, the Russian teams and, and Ukrainian teams, because I think, I think I, from what I saw when we simulated it, a lot of people were saying that they want, you know, they were the easiest options, getting the likes of Zenit, Shakhtar and so on, um, and Dynamo Kiev. I totally disagree for the reasons you, for what the reason, same reasons as what you said, Ben, is that you don't want to be travelling to these places in winter. Um, it's far away and it's cold and the, you know some of them playing plastic pitches and stuff I don't know if any of those clubs do but some exactly. of them it's just they're nightmare fixtures at that stage of the season but anyway um, I wanted to because we've got a lot to talk about with this um, stressful uh, day yesterday um, <laughs> the, what predictions right so where do you think we're going to finish in this Champions League draw Group. I'm going to say third. I'm going to say third because just based on what we've seen so far, and the main reason is, as you've said, Luca, is that yes, we've had big games, and, and you would want to start your experienced players, but we, we've not bledded. I, I don't feel like we've bledded gay enough, and we've bledded Balardi enough to consider them very credible alternatives for the league games if they don't start the Champions League games and that does worry me a bit I'll be honest and that's why I'm going to go with a third but hoping for second Yeah I think it'll, having Olympiacos for us anyway puts our mind at ease that you're not going to you know you're not facing Napoli Arsenal and Dortmund I think Man City is probably going to like run the tables and get nearly all of the wins and then Porto is probably going to lie around you know the 10 9 8 points area and for for me it's it's going to be about can we you know can we show up against Porto to you know to get a draw maybe away and then do something at home because if you do for me that's the team that we need to look at not Man City if we lose 5-0 against Man City it's fine because I expect them to destroy everyone anyway for me it's about securing the points against Olympiacos which like I know it's like I know they're not easy, but for Champions League standards, they are easy. And then playing big and showing up big against Porto, because we're going to play them twice in a row. They're the third and fourth fixture. I think that's going to be the main thing. And as a prediction, I'm usually a pessimist, but if 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 we're if we're looking at eight nine points, I reckon we can get that and and get second. Okay. Can um, I say that actually a point just to erase the embarrassment of getting zero points last time so <laughs> having having a point on the board i'll be ha- i'll be semi-relieved in terms of ending that curse yeah um, i'm gonna agree with ben and say that i think thought is realistic for us i think we could i think second is possible but we're not in form at the moment so for that reason i'm just not sure we're ready um, and as Ben said, some of the new players were brought in, they've not had enough time to settle in. So I think that if we were in the kind of form that we were, you know, we were in maybe mid, you know, come sort of 
November, December last year, then yeah, I think we could um, come second. But at the moment, it's it's not looking likely. So third, I think we should be aiming for third anyway, at least. And we have to be. We can't be aiming for last, obviously. But I think it's a realistic target. And if we get anything better than that, then great. Um, I, mean, I don't think the opposition is that strong. I, I, I think Porto had a good season. They've got a good coach. But I think they're not the Porto that we've seen four, five, six, seven, eight years. You know, they're nothing. They're nowhere near the same level, and the players aren't. They, you know, they don't have the same quality of players as they've had in the past. You know, the Porto side the AVB won the uh, UEFA Cup with is, you know, completely next level from this current Porto team. And I think that they benefited as well a lot from the fact that Benfica had a really poor season. Um, so, so yeah, and there's been a lot of kind of. Um, instability with Benfica but they're you know you know I think we're probably going to come back stronger now um with um um you know their coach returning and stuff so I think I think Porto I don't think they're a top side but you know they're very experienced in the Champions League so I expect yeah, on, them to on the come topic, second. Topic, it, it, yeah on the Porto topic and it leads into the, the Mercato topic yesterday they lost Danilo Pereira and Alex Telles, which were two of their top performers last year. Yes, they brought players in on loan. Um, and thank you, PSG, for taking Danilo Pereira, I guess. But uh, yeah, it, it's, you know, they've lost two key players on deadline day and they've replaced them with loan deals. Um, so it could be, could be a bit iffy. Yeah, that's interesting. So yeah, with but with that, I think then it's the time to, to move on and, and talk about the Mercato. So yesterday was the... the deadline day so the transfer window closed at midnight yesterday um or 11 o'clock uk time isn't it so it was fucking stressful wasn't it i was just fine hitting refresh constantly but you know before we get into it i will say and i was thinking this yesterday i don't remember a deadline day where we weren't frantically hoping to sign a player in a particular position and weren't left disappointed. I feel like this is the case every single year. It must be years ago was the last time where I wasn't looking on this day for a new striker or something, you know. I think remember the think back to the year when we got we ended up with Metroglu. That was probably the worst one I can remember. But it seems every year is always it's always like this. We don't seem to get our business done the early enough and, and we always end up in this position where oh we're going to send a joker now because we haven't got what we needed it's just um, different sporting directors same shit as far as I'm concerned but anyway, it's even worse shit isn't it I've got a lot because to say about this from... right, but I'm going to wait till later because I am um, <laughs> sorry um, but yeah just before we, I ask you some questions um, I just wanted to I'll just explain roughly what happened to the listeners. So, um, my favourite Marseille player, um, Bernasar, has been sold to Bayern Munich. So this just all of a sudden happened. I think the day before the eve of the <laughs> deadline day. Um, so I was really upset about that. Um, really gutted, and um, so we had to bring in a to the man. Apologise yeah. to the man. <laughs> Um, to, I, I'm only joking. Do you know what? I don't even hate him that much as much as you think I do. Um, and actually, I think you know he's not the biggest problem that we've got at the moment or had at the moment. But um, he's okay. Hypocrite. He's fine. He's fine. He's okay. He's okay. Right. Well, we've got fucking you, no one now, right? Him. You've but, hated him. Yeah, but you know, as Ben pointed out um, a few months back, towards the end of last season or what was played of last season, he was actually 
steady, right? And I kind of stopped complaining about him. But well, anyway, anyway, he was in the top five right backs in oh, Europe. Statistics got shite. Oh. Um, this is the biggest revision in Don't do statistics. Um, statistics. Statistics. You can spin whatever way you want to use them. I honestly believe that, right? So I don't really buy into that throwing stats as, you know, a reason to, you know, convince yourself of a particular narrative about someone. Um, but yeah, so Bunasar sold to Bayern Munich. So we were all suddenly in the market for a right back, which we weren't previously. Um, meanwhile, we're still looking for possibly a striker. Um, but we've also seen in the last day that, or the day, the, again, the eve of the final day um, that Maxime Lopez was on his way out so we ended up losing Lopez and bringing in a midfielder so we brought in a long term target which was Cuisance from Bayern Munich um, a young prospect um, but we failed to bring in a right back and we failed to bring in a striker doesn't look like we were looking for a striker um, the right back we thought we were going to get a Danish right back I don't know how to say his name to be honest not a player that I really know um, I'd heard of before I have to admit but yeah, so we ended up with nothing other than Cuisance. So I'll just ask you guys, like, what do you think? Successful day or bad bad day? Did you come out, come out of that happy? Did you wake up pleased or crying? Um, I mean, first of all, I'll just start off by saying I hate Mercato. I mean, I don't know if it's like the rise of social media that's, that's made it worse, but it just seems like I just get tired of it. You get all of the journalists under the sun just relaying the same information and one of them gives out a fake information and it's relayed by all of the verified journalists so that all of a sudden it becomes truth and then boom, it all collapses and you you get home with, with, with nobody. So I think for a couple of years now, I've just hated the Mercato. Um, yesterday, I didn't particularly watch it any, any closely. I mean, I went to bed at like 10 and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to wake up and I'm just going to see who's signed or who hasn't signed because I just can't take it. Um, but when you review our, our, our Mercato, I think the deadline day in particular, I think it has to be a failure. You know, you you, you know you you sell your your right back where you don't have a backup. You hope to sign another one, and then the replacement doesn't come because Gank, you know, just ask, you know, because they can just playing hardball, and then you have to to end the transfer and transfer window without a replacement. So it has to be a failure. But if you look at the of transfers as a whole, you know, you've brought in one, two, three, four, five, six, six starting, you know, starting 11, not starting 11, but first team players. That's quite good regeneration. You know, you've replaced Lopez, who's a bench warmer for Cuisance, who's potentially a perennial starter. You've you've added Nagatomo, you've added Gay for free, who's, uh, you know, a, a, a big hope. And then you've added Enrique, who's a bit of a gamble, but, you know, you haven't spent anything for other players, so you might as well afford yourself a gamble. Um, so I think overall, it's a success. And I mean, we'll see at the end of the season whether it's success or not, but it's successful phase value. Now, the actual needs of a left-back um, better than Nagatomo, uh, a right-back because Sal's gone, and then a good to very good striker, obviously they're not met, so... Mixed, mixed bag, I think, but overall, I'd be quite happy with that. It's a, come on, it's eight, it's eighty percent positive, twenty percent negative, but it's a big negative twenty percent because we've gone from 
having no backup at left back for three years and everybody, even internally at the club, quite a few people shouting out saying it's a bit of an incompetence and to leave yourself exposed like that. And we've gone from not having a backup left back to not having a right back. And you just go, for fuck's sake, can we can we get it right? And I, I, I will put the emphasis on what I what yes, we had a target and we got screwed over. You can spin it that way, but allegedly we, we were we were being told and this was what was coming out in the press, but Longoria also put his balls on the table for the last few weeks and said if a player was to leave, we have several options where, with agreements in place to sign them if we need to replace someone at the last minute. And we realised yesterday that actually that wasn't the case. And we did have a couple of uh, names in mind, but actually it was a failure because we didn't get anyone in at all. And even worse than that, we're now... I think it came out earlier, Guillaume Tapi said that we are going to go down the joker route again, which means we can only sign a Ligue 1 player, we can't register him for the Champions League group phase, and I will be fuming if we end up paying over the odds. You know, what, what Kenny Lala yesterday or the day before would have been three or four million, what would have been a three or four million Kenny Lala will, you know, will probably be an eight, nine million Kenny Lala because Strasbourg are going to say we can't replace him. Well, there's um, a solution there, isn't there? Because the, sorry to interrupt you, the, the chat from Mets, Mets are crying okay, because yeah. they didn't get the money that they wanted for Abib Diallo and they're saying that they've got four million euro deficit they now. They so, rivals and their fans were fuming. <laughs> so, the, I mean, the solution is that if this guy that we, uh, we were linked to from Mets, four million euros... If, if it's him, if it's him, I'll take him because he's 25 years old and he's got potential and he can be an understudy to Sakai for a season and then be the starter next season and Sakai the backup. But if it's Lala, I'll be, I'll be a bit disappointed because it's someone you could have signed for cheap a lot earlier than, than you're going to end up signing him for now. And it, it, he's not much... Of, He's not much of an upgrade. Yeah, he's not much of an upgrade, is he, the lad? I mean, you'd, you'd rather keep Bunasar. It's going to be Korsha. I'm going to put my, my oh, money at Matt. Fuck oh, me, that's no, 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 not Korsha. Yeah, well, I'm pretty confident that, it'll be him. I just get a feeling. I don't see No, how. apparently he's got an agreement with Nott and he's yeah. going to be announced in the next few days. Hopefully, he, he didn't say yesterday not. he's got an agreement with Nott. He's still not saying. I don't know. I've got a feeling. Yeah, but he's they a free might... agent. He's a free agent. There's no mm, pressure on true, him. He true. doesn't count as a joker. I, do you know what I, I I always thought I always rated him when he was in France, but I think yeah, when fit, he was on fit. Football Manager 2012, yeah. No, I always thought he was a good player. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't think he was of a world class, but I don't think he was any worse than say Leo Dubois. I think he was a decent right back, but I think he's he's not played for years. He's not fit. He's got loads of injury problems. He's not the play, that player anymore. So it's you like going to be like Gregory Celtic too, isn't it? What, what if you go down the route of free agents? You know? Yeah, but who is there? Who is okay, there? Okay, okay. Don't don't scream. Okay. What about Daniel Klein? Not 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 such a bad shot. Not such a bad I've, shot. I've got the list of free agents in front of me. I'm not I'm not but he should, out. Uh, you know, he's got discipline issues and I don't think he's a Joey Barton type to come yeah, but we got, in the we got understaffing come good. We have understaffing. Well, do we though? Do we though? Because we uh, so Richard Richard, we signed professionals at right back. Um, speaking of which, we also let Abdallah go. Um, sorry, but um, look, look, what other options are there from the free? And then I'll, I'll 
I'll see my two right, so I mean, it, you. I've just got a, a, a generic list. I don't have just right backs, right? Okay, so you can just scream and not. I'm just gonna go through the list, okay? I'm, I'm not endorsing any of those choices. <laughs> Here we go. Okay, you've got Wilshire, Welbeck, Storage, Klein, Goetze, Ben Arthur, Nasri, Gabay, Mandzukic, uh, Asamoa, uh, Borini, Kagawa, Dumbia, Giannelli, Mbula, and Hadiulovic. Borini can play right back, can't he? He no played, idea. He played right wing back lot for AC Milan. Barini? Yeah. Yeah, they're talented. dog shit. All of them. I mean, uh, I'm a bit biased because I do follow Arsenal in the UK. Wilshire, I've always liked him, but he has got injury issues. But I think he's a he's a profile of midfielder that would be good because he's very technical. We don't need a midfielder though. But that's the point. We're, we're stuffed there. We're going to have back in midfield. <laughs> no, fuck that. And, I don't um, want any of those players. That I'm, I'm Manzuki is shit. the only one I'd go for, but you can bet that he's doing a Cavani and he's asking for a, a five or six million signing on fee, which McCourt won't pay out, and rightly so, because he's 34 years old. Of course. I'll see what I think about this Mercato. I think I would probably rate this about four out of ten. I think it's very poor, right? So, the reason oh. is, right, I'm sorry, I'm going to be glad and miserable, but the reason is, right, so, thinking about it, right, we brought in Balerdi, who doesn't look very good from what we've seen. It looks like he's going to need a long time to sort of settle in. He doesn't look very confident, to be honest. I'm not, I think he was a rush decision. I think there was other options out there, and we... Exactly. When you when you see the other players that went out on loan or, or got transferred to cheap in his position yesterday, 100% agree with you there. We could have waited and just seen if we could have picked someone else up. Some of the guys that we were looking at might have been expensive at the time and then have gone on loan or whatever or for cheaper. So we could have just waited and picked someone that was maybe more suitable or would adapt to Ligan much quicker. Um yeah, I mean, maybe none of them are perfect. So, when I mean, we talked about Tudibo and, and guys like that. Maybe they're not perfect, but look better than him, let's face it, from what we've seen. Um, and Dortmund fans did warn us. We, we read that they were saying that when he had played for Dortmund, he didn't look good. So, okay. We bought Nagatomo. I think Nagatomo was shit. From what I've seen, he looked shit. I didn't think he was very good when he was at Inter, although albeit it was very... A long, it was a long time ago, right? So I admit, I don't, I, I didn't really know what to expect. But I remember thinking years ago when he was at Inter Milan that I didn't quite understand. I thought he was the odd one in that team. Let's just say I always thought that he was clearly the player in the side. A bit like Bunasar, how I felt about Bunasar for us, to be honest, and that a player that maybe he gives it his all, does his job. But I always thought, he's not quite got the quality to be in that 11 with all those other players. Um, and now he looks totally cooked. He, from what the two games we've seen him, he looks like a player that's just, you know, ready for like a much lower level. He should be playing in America or something like that. Or, or you know, maybe gone back to Japan. Somewhere where he can earn good dollar for being shite and slow and still look decent. Um, playing against they're other not, shit and slow players. Aren't as attractive to... They aren't as attractive to pre-retire as the South of France, are they? Let's face it. Anyway, but my point is, is that he he looks to me like a poor signing. And again, it looks like we rushed with that one. I mean, look, Dalbert, Dalbert, Enrique just went to Rennes on loan. He was decent when he was at Nice. I know he's maybe not done so well in Italy, but he was pretty good at Nice. And I think he could have been a good backup to Jordan Amavi. 
And You're describing a, an attractive location to go to. <laughs> a a well-run football club. I mean... Uh, <laughs> no, I, I think that's entirely realistic deal. Um, we just didn't go for those moves. We, we they tried to be smart. I think, and I don't. I think they rushed into it and made um, poor choices with those ones. But to be honest, the biggest loss in that position is the fact that we lost Nielsen Kunku um, to to Everton, and we failed to sign him to a professional contract. Um, I've made my feelings clear on that already. Um, and we're now seeing from what he's shown at Everton, apparently, that he's looking pretty good. So I think that in, in an ideal world, we would have just signed him up and not needed to bring in a left back. Reserve, reserve judgment a bit there, because he has only played in two cup games. And one of them was West Ham and the other one was um, was a, like a fourth division team. So reserve judgment for now. But yes, so far, it looks like a big mistake. So... So yeah, so that that's how I feel about those moves. And then I look at the midfield. I think that yeah, I mean, I I have to admit, Lopez wasn't. I, I was finding it hard to justify a place for him in the side in the last couple of years. I don't think he's really um, showed much since his initial breakout year, where he looked really strong. Um, so I, I'm not against his his departure entirely, but I'm not sure that I'm totally over about the fact that we lost Lopez and we brought in Cuisance. I don't think it was necessary to upgrade there. I think the midfield was okay. I, you know, a Cuisance, yeah, he's a good young player. I mean, he's still a young player that's not totally proven. To be honest, the player that I thought we needed, if we were going to ship someone out in midfield, should probably have been Kevin Strootman. Looking at his wage packet, that's, we needed to save money. That would have been this, the one to get rid of, not Lopez. And I kind of feel no, that... No one wants them now. I kind of feel that like um, but that's a fault of the sporting director and they need to be able to sell their players to clubs um, you know they, they're paid to do a job these guys they have to be able to find opportunities even if it was a loan deal it would have been the sensible thing but um, if we could if, so yeah it's a disappointment whether or not no one wanted them it's still disappointing that that's what, what happened we brought in Gay I was pleased with that one it was pretty good, actually. I wasn't sure about his first appearance, couple of appearances, but he's starting to look okay. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not overjoyed about the Cuisance thing. I'm not. I just think, you know, like it wasn't a priority for me. And I think that the Lopez deal sounds shocking. Like to loan him out with an option to buy one to three million euros. I know we're in Corona world, right? But for fuck's sake, like I'd rather just not sell him at all and get him on a new contract and see if we can ride it out for a couple of seasons and see if he's. Um... Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. The, the saving grace there is that he did sign a one-year extension before going out on loan. Has that definitely happened though? Because there's a lot it of has information yeah, about confirmed. that. that that's been confirmed. So he has signed a one-year extension. The option is ridiculous. I'm sorry, but one to three million euros is ridiculous, and especially was, it's, it's activated once he plays 25 games. I mean, is he even going to play 25 games? Right between now and the end of the season, we don't. That's quite a lot of games, and and judging by the way things are going, I'm not sure they're going to finish the season again anyway. Um, he's, he's gone to an Italian team. We know that the, the dodgy practices that happen there in transfer dealings, they're cash-strapped. They are blatantly going to play for 24 games and not play for the 25th. 
Well, it's not going to happen. So I'll, I'll look out to see if that's what happens because if that's what happens, I'll remember um, this podcast and point it out um, that you said that. I actually think he might do all right there. You know, thinking about how Benasser has done in in Italy, similar kind of sort of player physically, brought his profile good, passes the ball well, got good vision and stuff, very technical. Maybe Lopez could turn out to do really well there, and we'll be crying when he sort of lines up for AC Milan or Juventus in a couple of years' time. You never know. I mean, he, he's definitely got technical qualities. So, I, yeah, I, I, as much as I'm not, like, you know, the, one of the kind of ardent Lopez defenders, I don't think this was a good move. I would have just rejected it and kept him had I been Longoria. Yeah, so shit for me. And the the money that we spent in attack, um, you know, we, we spent money on this Brazilian kid. That we don't, none, we, let's be honest, none of us have seen him, so we don't know how good he's going to be. We spent a lot of money considering that we had no money on a, on a kid who's 19, who's played, what, 20 or 19 games or something, 21 games, something like that, professional football. It was a real gamble. We didn't bring in a proper striker um, or... If we were going to bring in a winger like we did with the Brazilian guy, we didn't bring in someone who we are sure is going to provide a real alternative to uh, the fat, slow, shit Dimitri Payet that we've got. So for me, <laughs> it's this fucking terrible, Mercato. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I like I just, I, it's, it's I, I'm, no. I, I'm, I, I will say, I'm I, livid. Like I, I it's so bad. Not. And we let no, Abdallah go out alone. Like, why did, we didn't get right back. Why the fuck didn't we just keep Abdallah, right, Muhammad Ali? I mean, come on, man. We put, put him out on loan without an option, so we must think he's all right if we might want to keep him. We'll just fucking play him. Like, it's just in... right, right back Right back is the, is the touchy subject. I agree 100%. But Cudence is, is a, 10 times the player Lopez is. And I agreed with you. Your, your analysis is spot on, actually, Steph, that a few... Even towards the middle of the, of the summer, up until the PSG game even, a midfielder was probably not on the list of what we needed because we've, we've, we've had the numbers made up in terms of being able to swap players in and out numerically. But, but based on what we've seen so far and the profile of Angelin Sanson, the performances, Trizance is he's like a deep-lying Gorkouf-type player. He's a playmaker. And um, now that we... The fact that he may challenge one of the two to either perform better or take their place in the starting eleven and actually be a useless part, a useful part of the team, sorry, and create chances with his passing of vision for the, for the players in front of him is a fucking godsend, and I will take that with open arms right now compared to the profiles we've got. So, Trudence, I think he Touchwood. I think he. I hope he confirms that the hopes that all of all of French football and certainly overhard Smarte fans have in him. But that is a great deal for us, and that could turn out to be a coup um, that that other clubs like Monaco or even Lyon end up envying us for. I, I you know, I don't doubt that he's a quality player. Um, I've seen him before. Um, I mean, I've only seen him a couple of times for Bayern, but um, in substitute appearances mostly. I think I saw him in the pre-season as well. But the um, I, you know, I've been aware of him for some time. But I just think that a couple of things about his signing and is that Bayern didn't want to keep him, which is interesting. When they didn't replace Thiago, I know he's not going to replace Thiago just yet, but it's interesting that they didn't they they let him go with an option, some an option to buy 
not just because they signed Mark. Yeah, but they signed Mark Hooker from from Spain, didn't they? He's they, a different kind of player, though. In his position. Yeah, but they've signed two players in his Who's position. Who's the other player? Puts him down the pecking order. Uh, I think they've signed a German league player as well. I'm not sure which oh. one, but I think they signed a German youngster. Okay. Um, I know that they had a player out on loan, I forget his name, that was coming back, that was a midfielder. But, yeah, so I don't know, I just thought it was quite strange um, if they're deciding that they are okay to let him go. Um, but, yeah, I think he'll be, you know, he'll probably be a good player. He's, he does look very talented. My worry is that Bayern are so good right now that a lot of people are thinking, oh, yeah, this kid plays for Bayern, he's amazing. Just not get carried away, you know. He's just a Agreed, young player. Agreed, 100%. Let's see him on the pitch. But again, another parallel with Gokuf. You look at Gokuf, they loaned him to Bodle. He had a blinding season, and they still agreed to sell him to Bodle for, for like 18 million or something at the time. So I think all the parallels are there with Gokuf in terms of his style of play. Yes, he's not, he's not, he doesn't play as high up on the pitch, but he, he can, he's got vision and passing. And Sometimes they find these, you know, they take gamble on these players. Look at Chelsea; they've got like sixty players, seventy players that they've they've had for years. Um, they've, they've had the Dutch lads. Um, I can't remember his name, but they loaned him out to loads of to loads of teams all over Europe and and, and Holland. He never played; he's played barely five games for them. They've had the Brazilian winger Lucas Piazon, who's still on their books, I believe. That he's never. I think he's played for them five times as well. Sometimes these big big teams take a gamble on the prospect, they don't play him, and they realise he's not he's not going to quite cut it here, but he he'll do all right somewhere else. Let's let's cut our losses because we got him for cheap anyway. Luke, have you got any final thoughts before we wrap up? I I, th- I just think my closing statement on I mean this issue of the Mercato is something that I've forgotten that you reminded me is that you know Nagatomo and Enrique, you know, could not have even had to happen had you kept Lihaji and had you kept Ben Kunku. Yeah, I forgot I Lihaji, that, sorry. That's probably my biggest regrets, you know. Like, I know they're particular cases and they might not have wanted to stay at the club, but, you know, it. You, talents in Marseille don't come often and seeing both of them go in one transfer window when there was so much hype around them for, like, two, three years before... Is, is a big disappointment on my part. Those two examples, or those two players, sorry, that's the thing that is, I think is the real failure of this uh, summer, is to, to lose those two young players. Um, okay, so I'm sorry I was so miserable and angry. Um, it's been brewing all day, but you know, yeah, so I'm. apologies for everyone to listen to my rant. But yes, I, I think we'll wrap it up. There's a couple of things I just wanted to say before I finish. Um, one of them is that um, so I, I just read there on the, the on Twitter that right back is not going to come today. It's going to take a few. They, they're taking their time with that apparently. Um, so don't expect anything, any miracles before midnight. And secondly, Eddie Van Halen just died, which is rather sad. The Van Halen, you know, massive yeah, the, the Van Halen jump. jump. Yeah, so. Um, Rest in peace to him. And in in, in third news, that um, Dubois tested positive yesterday for coronavirus. Oh, so we played him two that, days ago. Okay, so that's a concern then, isn't it? That as well that some of our players um, have been in contact then with um, someone with COVID. Yeah, well, Payet has definitely been in contact with him. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, finally, it was just to say, um, ask your thoughts. What did you think of the kit on Sunday? Looked a bit like one of the graphics we made for the the podcast. I thought. Mm, as a kit, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not buying that for ninety euro. <laughs> it's no, it's a design kit. It's a third kit. I think the the big the big again piss take that stands out is after all the all the fuss about the Uber Eats logo being green last year on the white shirt, they've gone and put the OM logo in green on the fucking third shirt. And it's like, <laughs> if it's for Europe, put it in gold. No one will have anything to say if you put it in gold. You know, we'll all be happy because it's European. Cup and the gold is, is the colour of the Champions League of fine, but why green? Why make that mistake again? I mean, third kits, they often don't um, follow the tradition of, of a club's, you know, a club's traditional colours, so I, I don't really care. Um, it's, not a, it's not a kit that I would buy or anything, it's not, but I didn't think it looked as bad as a, I thought it was going to be with the initial um, the pictures that were leaked months back. I thought it was actually kind of cool and a sort of ugly kind of snazzy, gimmicky third kit way, if you know what I mean. Anyway, um, I think that's probably it for tonight. It's a long episode, but there's quite a lot to talk about. Um, yeah, thanks everyone for listening. Um, I guess, um, guys, sorry, closing statement, it's just come out that Eddie Van Halen's died. So I just said five minutes ago. You just said <laughs> oh, shit, sorry. Shit, I no, didn't sorry. listen. Yeah, so rest in peace to him, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's going to be weird. Uh, it's now going to be a somber tune at the Velodrome, isn't it? Yeah, um, welcome to the conversation two minutes ago. Mate. <laughs> to my defence, Alban has just turned up with a crate of beer. And uh, yeah, I've been distracted. Sorry. <laughs> oh, hello, guys. Alléluem, <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> there you go. Shout out to everyone. But pleasure, guys. Thanks for, thanks for hosting us, Steph. No worries, mate. Yeah, thanks, guys. Good night. Cheers, Cheers guys. Bye. Yeah, see you next time.